Amen. Right on. So excited to be in this series called How to Wreck Your Life. I know that's why you come to church. It's to figure out how to wreck it all. And uh, we are going to kind of creatively just look at these ways that it's possible if we do these things, you're guaranteed to wreck your life, to mess it up. And so this week, uh, week three of it, our title is How to Wreck Your Life, Let Your Children Raise Themselves. Uh, that's a surefire way to mess it up, is to just let your kids figure it out on their own or just, and, and I hear that all the time. I was a children, I was a youth pastor, I was a children's pastor, children's ministry for quite a while, but 12 years as a youth pastor. And, um, I would hear that said of parents, they would basically come and they would say things just like that of like, well, what can I do? I mean, really, what can I do? Or I just got to believe that, you know, I'll do the best that I can and just believe that, hope that it works out. We'll get to it in a minute, but that is not how God called us. We have to pay attention and steward and raise our children intentionally. Amen. And, and so it's important for us as a church to talk about that as well. And so being that it's child dedication, I thought it would be important for us as a whole church uh, to understand what it looks like to be people who raise and steward a generation. I'm going to say this for every person in here, young, old, in the middle. Uh, maybe you've seen your kids out of the house and you have grandkids. You're still called to parent a generation. You're still called, amen, to raise up and make a difference in your community generationally. Uh, I would say it to you if you're not married and you don't have kids and you're maybe a teenager. Listen, you have an opportunity to be an example and to make a difference in the generation underneath you. Amen. And so this actually applies to all of us. Stewardship in raising children uh, is for everybody. Uh, there's this quote that we talk about and use often, and it says this, it is easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men and women. It's much easier, and honestly, it's God's plan for us to be a people who raise up young people and raise up a generation than it is for us to go back later and spend all the effort and energy repairing. Now, I believe God can repair and God can restore. And I'm not saying if we missed it as a young, you have no chance later. I believe he's a miracle working God. Amen. But it should be our focus that we spend the time on them now. Listen, that kid's ministry upstairs. That's not babysitting. That's ministry. Amen. I don't believe that there's versions of God. There's not like a child-sized God, a child-sized Holy Spirit. No, you, our kids, we saw in Scripture, Samuel said, had this whole teaching about how to hear the voice of God. If in the Bible, Samuel could hear from the voice of God, how many know our kids can be led and prompted by God? Yeah. Amen. And so it's important for us to, to do our best in raising and training kids. And so I got three points uh, in our little bit of time together. I got these three points I really want you to, to take home with you and think on. And the first point is this. We have to appreciate that God works generationally. God works generationally. One of the greatest deceptions that the enemy is doing is the way that he gets generations to fight with each other. And, and, and so much more than ever, we put labels on things. You have the baby boom, and then you have the millennials, and the millennials don't like this one, and that one doesn't like that one. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want generations working together. Why? Because God works generationally. Are you with me this morning? Are you here? And so the idea is, look, we, we've got to understand that this whole thing ties together in a big picture. Uh, people say to me, uh, you know, oh, my kids, you know, 18 years. After 18 years, they're out of the house and I get to clock out. Not even close. We're called generationally to be ministers to the next generation, the now generation, to young people. Amen. And so that mindset of like, if I just get them out, no, you're planting seed that God is going to honor. Amen. 
That's what Psalm 105, 8 says. It says he remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. We serve a God who is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because the works that are done in a godly family live on. Amen. The works of a godly community and, and, and where you are, all those things God honors for generations. But we got to get it right. Amen. Uh, I thought about it like this. I heard um, Lisa Bevere, who's 58 years old. I'm not outing her. She said that at a conference we were at, and she's got just this great pattern of ministry. John Bevere is her husband, and she was speaking and just talking about what it looks like to to be in ministry and raise kids. And and she made this great statement. She said, uh, the next generation is not called to replace the generation before, but to reinforce it. You understand that? And so the problem that we've had in church is a generation has heard from God and moved in God and had a move of God, and they get it to about here. And then the next generation comes along, and they, they have friction, and they're not working together, and they're fighting over tedious little things. And so they say, well, fine, I don't need you. I don't need you. And then they only get to the same place in God. We only get to so much influence. We only get to so much of a thing. Instead, if we could say, no, I understand you forged the way. You've made the path. You've got it to here. And I'm just coming in to reinforce what you've already done. Now, when they come in, it might look a little different. They might come with a little bit different ammo, a little bit different artillery. They might come in with a a few things a little bit different, but it's to equip the work of what you're already doing. And I'd say the same thing to the young generation as you come in behind. You don't come in to replace and to tear down. You come in to bring what you have with what they have to make the work. Amen. And so God works generationally. We're called to stand on each other's shoulders, not compete and be side by side. Amen. I thought about it like this. I heard this at uh, the conference as well. It said that our ceiling should be the next generation's floor. So we take it to here and the next one goes, our ceiling, as far as we get it, should be the, the, the floor for the next generation. We work together. We connect. We believe the best. God works generationally. Amen. It takes all kinds. Point number two is we need to train them your best, not hope for the best. When it comes to raising our kids, you train them your best. You do your best. Not this idea of, well, I just hope for the best. No, we have to be intentional. We have to be strategic. Think about all the things in your life that you give great planning to, great strategy to, long-term thinking to. But with our kids, we have this, oh, I hope it works out. I'm just believing the best. I hope that it comes together. Are you with me? No, our kids, the scripture said, they're our gift. They're also our honor to raise. God gave them to you to steward and aim. Amen. I'll read you a couple of versions of what, what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 22, 6. Many of you have heard this before. But the message version says it like this. Point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. To point something means you have to observe the atmosphere. You got to look at what's going and you got to line it up properly. You got to give some care to what you're doing when you point something. Are you with me? Not, oh, I hope it works out. Oh, I hope it comes together. No, it's strategic. It's intentional. It, it, it gives us the idea of giving time to something. The New Living Translation says it like this Direct your children unto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Directing, again, gives the idea of of work and energy and understanding. It says direct them because there's a right path and a wrong path. And if we don't pay attention, if we just let our kids raise themselves, they're not going to find the right path. Amen. 
And so it's saying direct them, find the right path, discern for them where they need to be going. God has given you them to steward. They can't hang out with any friends they want to hang out with. They can't listen to anything they want to listen to in high-level amounts, all these kinds of things. It's your job to direct them and show them what the right path would be. It gets tough for us as Christians, though, when we tell the kids what our right path is, but we don't walk it. Oh, no, we, we, and we hear this with child dedication. We hear it when people come to the church. We come to the church because we want our kids to be raised in church, and we know it's important. We weren't going it wasn't important before a kid. I know I'm frying some of your hide because it's some of you because you've told me this. Just ignore it. But we do that. We, we skip church. We neglect church. It's not part of our life. We get a kid and we're like, oh, we got to raise this kid in God because it's important. It wasn't important for me over here, but I want it important for them. Your kids are going to see through that. We, to, to direct them in the right path, you got to know what the right path is. We can't say, oh, kids, we want you raised in the things of God, the ways of God, and then we come to church only 25 times a year. No, we got to be committed in understanding and directing the kids on their path. Amen. The Living Bible says, teach a child to choose the right path. And when he is older, he will remain upon it. Teach them. That means instruction. That means conversation. That means you have to be in their life talking about the things of God, the ways of God, the will of God. Amen. We can't leave it up to Sunday school. We can't leave it up to just church on Sunday. For us to put them on that right path, we have to be talking with them. And the English standard is... Probably one that you would know more commonly. It's train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will not depart from it. Be completely gone from it. You get it down on the inside of them. Amen? That's why Psalm 127.4 says this. It says, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Now, the warrior describes somebody who knows what they're doing on the battlefield. A warrior is somebody who's prepared for what they're doing. Scripture, it, it, we have this idea of like, oh, we just we'll let them figure it out or we'll figure it out or along the way. And you just pick up the arrow and you just, no, a warrior is somebody who understands what they're doing. They understand what they're up against. Amen. And so I'd say it like this. The scripture calls us to aim them, not to just flail them. And we run our schedules like that. And we run our church attendances and we run the things of God. We just flail. Like we just grab the arrow and just flail it and hope that it sticks. Hope the kids learn something. Amen. Are you with me? No, it's saying, hey, be a warrior, be studied, be educated, know what you're up against in this culture, and be ready to aim them toward the things of God. As a youth pastor, people would always say things to me like, well, you know, I can't control them. Like, I can't, can, I can't tell my kids what to do when it comes to going to church or other things of God. You know, I can't just tell them what to do. I'm like, oh, really? Let's, let's apply that to other areas of their life. So if your kid gets up for school and doesn't want to go to school, you're going to say, well, I can't tell you what to do. I can't control you. No, you're going to say, you got two minutes to get on that bus or you're walking, right? What if we said the same? Well, I can't tell my kids what to do. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't put pressure on. I can't. Well, what if your kid just decided to have its own eating habits? Oh, I'm going to just eat junk food all day. It's all going to be sure. No, as a parent, you have no problem saying this is our standard when it comes to the way that we eat. And this is the way it's going to be. But when it comes to the things of God, the most important things, we go like, I don't know. I can't tell them what to do. Are you with me? Right. We need to apply the same thing in our spiritual walk as we do in our normal living. If you consider things important in life and you hold your kids to it, that much more so in the things of God. Amen. Yeah. Friends matter. All those things that matter. We need to have an understanding of the path that they're walking because we're called to aim them. 
And I'll say it like this. There is a truth to making your kids do things. And there is a truth to uh, how we, you know, force is the wrong word, but how we strongly encourage the way that they should go. And, and here's some thoughts that we need to keep in mind uh, when it comes to this. Landon Scott is a pastor, and he says this quote. He says, grace without truth is deception. Grace without truth is deception. So if all we're saying to our kids is, oh, no, we just want to love them, and we hope it works out, and grace, 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 and we're just always telling the kids grace, and we love you, and obviously I'm telling you, love them, love them. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to get cold and hard and get a bullhorn and be shouting at our kids all the time, but I'm just saying this. If you think you're loving the kids, if your kids, because you're all grace and you're all grace and you're no truth, you're deceiving your children. You're deceiving them. You're sending them down a path that's going to be harmful. Amen? Uh, Lisa Bevere says this as well. It was so good. It says this, truth without love is mean. People walking around just blasting all kinds of truths and what they, and they can be true. Truth without love is mean, but love without truth is meaningless, is meaningless. And so sometimes we do that. We walk around with our kids and we walk around in our communities and we just try to love, 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 love. And we never introduce truth. And that whole conversation you're having is meaningless because you're not leading them in truth. Amen. There's a story I want you to take in my last point. My last point is this point three. Perfection is not possible, but presence is. Perfection is not possible, but your presence is. And so what I want you to know is like, look, you're going to mess it up. I mess it up. We all mess it up, right? None of us are perfect. And some of you are like, yes, oh my gosh, if you would have saw my morning, like I got blood to clean up when I get home <laughs> or other things, you know, you just don't know with kids, but none of us are going to be perfect in it, but you can always be present. You can always pay attention. So I got this verse that's like kind of raw in me and struggled with it in first service, but I, I hope you understand it. Uh, and I got hopefully a couple humorous parts before we get to the meat. But because of social media, because of Facebook, because of Instagram, because of Dr. Oz, because of Dr. Phil, all these other stuff, they're trying to make you think you have to be so perfect. But I'll tell you in my life, I won't go back to my parents and I won't, and my hope is that my kids don't come back to me and say, dad, I saw how you strived so hard to be perfect. The best compliment they could give me is that they came back to me and said, dad, you were always there. Yeah. You always noticed. You always paid attention. Are you with me? So we have a great example here of this in Luke chapter two, verse 41. And I'm trying to just disarm that idea in many of you. You read blogs and you read stuff, and they're just trying to tell you how perfect you have to have it. you got to have everything organic. Everything's got to be sanitized. Your kids can never get dirty. This image of perfection is ridiculous. Get your kids a little bit dirty. I hope they have as many bruises on their legs as my kids do from playing outside. <laughs> just get them out in the real world, right? Amen? And so, And so... Just let God kind of free you from that perfection thing. Some of you have so much pressure on you about perfection, you're not able to be present. And that's got to stop today, okay? All right? So here's Jesus. We get this great example, Luke 2, 41. 
It says this, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So Jesus got left behind. Little did he know it'd be a movie about it later, but thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. So Jesus' family left him for a day. And uh, if you've never heard the story. So they begin looking for him among their relatives and friends. We all do that, right? Do you have him? No, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Oh, good. We left the Son of God behind. Fantastic. <laughs> when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. This is the best part. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. Three days. And then this gets even better. Uh, it says this, it says they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? They left him. Remember that part. <laughs> Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, which is actually a really funny thing. Remember the kids like sinless? like all our kids think they are. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, Jesus could say that. So when they're coming like, how did you do this? Jesus is like, are we going to do the scorecard thing here? And so they're giving him the, like, we work and we work. How could you do this to us? You know, Jesus is like, uh, I'm perfect over here. And then Mary's like, I told the angel I wasn't ready to be a mom. I was a virgin. How am I in this mess? But here's the truth. And here's the heavy that I want you to hear that I hope it sets you free is this. Even Jesus' parents messed it up. They had the Son of God in their care and in their stewardship, and they messed it up. It's all right if we mess it up a little bit. God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for all your effort. But here's what I want you to notice about Mary. She says this. He says, why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Listen to that part. It says that Mary, his mom, didn't understand what was happening, but she treasured it in her heart. Many of you, are walking through parent situations that you don't understand what is happening. You don't understand how it's going to work. You don't understand how it's going to come together. Maybe you have a prodigal. Maybe you've been praying for years. Maybe you have somebody bound in an addiction or in a pain that you're watching on a daily basis and you don't understand. But you're treasuring in your heart the process in the child because you love. Are you with me? It says that she treasured it in her heart. She paid attention. What I'm trying to say is even in the things she didn't understand, she stayed present. She made it be a part of her heart. She made it be a part of her life because then later in her life, you know, it comes together. It actually says by this process of she didn't understand, but she treasured it. It says, then Jesus, what grew in wisdom and stature? You could say it like this because she responded properly to something she maybe didn't even understand. It allowed Jesus to grow. Are you with me? There's seasons of our life where you're expecting to be perfect, perfect and perfection. But if you just stay present and you cherish things in your kids, 
that you don't understand and you don't know how it's going to come together and you don't know the, how God's going to work it all together for good, but you just hold on and you cherish and you treasure those words that God spoke. He will do it. Amen. I'll close with this. I want to read you the scripture about how God works it all together. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1. It says, my people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. So he's making it clear, like, you got to get this. He says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old. Verse 3, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. That's that generational ministry I was talking about. Speaking of the things of God, living out the things of God, being the things of God. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their descendants generationally. We will tell the next generation, teaching, training, talking, instructing, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord his power and the wonders and all that he has done. And then it says this in verse five, he decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, speaking of given testimony of the goodness of God, which he commanded to the ancestors to what? To teach their children. It's gotta be on your heart. It's gotta be your mission to speak of the things of God. And then it says, so that the next generation will know them, even the children yet unborn, and they will turn and they would tell their children. Because the testimony of God is meant to live on for generations. We don't babysit. We minister. Why? Because we're planting seed for generations to live on. We tell the stories of the goodness of God. Why? Because it brings hope in a world that speaks hopelessness. Are you with me? And then in verse 7, it says this. It said, they will put their trust in God and they would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. The most important thing we can do is talk and teach and train the things of God. I hope you can teach your kid how to hit a baseball or a golf club or to catch that fish or do that thing. But none of it is more important than teaching your kid to find the presence of God, to find the power of God, to understand all that he has for you. Amen. We spend so much time on being like, oh, my boy, he's going to know Ford over Chevy. Amen. Boy, you, uh, your stupid kids are going to come to you in your school. And they're going to try to tell you stupid things like Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James, but he's not. Those are fairy tales. Those are old tales. Look how big LeBron's record book is. Look at how little Jordan's is. Don't forget Jordan had to take a break for T-ball and then come back. LeBron is long. Anyway, but all those things we put energy on. We get excited about walking our kid into <laughs> all these things. Like, oh, we can't wait for him to experience this. But what if we got excited about walking him into the house of God? Walk him in, into a, a place of worship. Walk him in, walking them through their, their first fast or their first, are you with me? Teaching them to pray. I love all the fun stuff. I can't wait to take my kid to Michigan Stadium and show him all the championships Harbaugh's won us. But I'm telling you, I'm more excited to teach them and train them and lead them in the works of God and the ways of God and the presence of God. Amen. Pastor Lee said this at a conference this week we were at. He said this, uh, he's writing a book about this. He said this, birds were created for the air. Fish were created for the water. Mankind was created for the presence of God. Anything outside of the presence of God, you're a fish out of water, you're a bird up. Are you with me? It's fine that we teach our kids all those other things, but they're made to be right here, not in just church, but in the presence of God. Amen.